Open your copy of Scripture to 1 Peter. We're still in the first chapter. We'll pick up on verse 13. As I said, the key and theme all throughout the book of 1 Peter is to remember. He's writing to Christians, both Jews and Gentiles, who have been scattered across the world. Many of them new believers and new churches. They're scattered, many of them out of their home of origin. And Peter is writing to them that in the midst of the generation, in the midst of the culture that they're living in, remember who you are. Remember who you are. This morning he's saying to us, remember that you're holy. Now I know from experience when you begin to talk about being holy, there's a certain deflection that happens in a Christian's life. We will admit that our God is righteous and holy. And I have to let you know this, whether we admit that to him or not, because there are millions that do not, it doesn't matter what we equate to him. He is righteous. He is holy altogether without our agreement. But something wonderful happens. Christ comes into our life and God takes our sin. As we read last week, when you were dead, you're dead people. Jesus Christ resurrected, took our sin and the word imputed to put within us his righteousness, his holiness. But we shy away from those words. We shy away from ownership of those words. We, we hear this. When we hear the word holy, uh, we say, or we think in our mind, perfect. And so then we have a catchphrase. No one's perfect. Therefore, I don't have to be perfect. We see perfection and holiness, nothing to do with it. God, in his throne from heaven... When he looks at us, his children, he sees the righteousness and the holiness that was imputed to us through the blood of Jesus. You see, righteousness is not a self-righteous. That's when you think you're righteous. It's like when you think you're humble, you're not. Holiness is not arrogance or pride. It's not a halo that will appear on your head when you go out into public. It's a manner of life. When people begin to look at you, they don't see your righteousness and holiness. They equate it to an experience that you have with God. You see, the problem we have is this, is we, we live out our lives trying to figure how to morally compromise. In other words, we don't really want to sin, but we want try to figure out where can we kind of just inch up to it a little bit. We don't want to touch it. We don't want it to get on us. But, you know, we just get over here next to it so maybe everybody around us won't know we're Christian. Well, that's, that's, not, that's not the issue. You see, we're, we're spending all of our time figuring out how to get close to the fence of the world without putting a fence in it. Don't put a step over the fence. I've always told this. I'm from the country. And we used to hear a lot about right, straddling the fence. 
One foot in the world, one foot is a Christian. If you straddle a barbed wire fence, you're in trouble, okay? I just want you to know that. And I kind of think God puts up barbed wire fences. We're going to read today from Peter. He said, as the one who is holy called you, you be holy. Now, he's not the only one that had words on that. I, I had so many scriptures, I just cut them down to this. What does Romans 12, 1 say? Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, that's in view of the mercy you've received, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy, not W-H-O-L-L-Y. Holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. When you want to worship God, you present that body, that holy body, that's pleasing to God. Because you are giving back to God what he has given you. 1 Corinthians three, sixteen and 17. Don't you know that you yourself are God's temple? Now, there's a temple in Jerusalem. It's not God's temple, okay? When the temple was destroyed and Jesus Christ came to earth, died a sacrificial death, was buried, resurrected, ascended to the Father, and the Spirit came down, we, you and I, became that temple and that God's Spirit dwells in us. If anyone destroys God's temple... He will, he will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred. And you together are that temple. What did he mean by you together? Well, he's writing that to the church. See, the church, I've said many times, is not this building. This building stays here when you leave. You're the church. You're the one that walks into the world. Uh, Ephesians 1, 3 and 4. Praise be to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Colossians chapter 3. Therefore, it's God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion and kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. That is a offspring, a fruit of our holiness and the spirit of God that is in us. First Thessalonians chapter four, for God did not call us to be impure. If we walk in sin, we're impure. If our practice is to practice sin before God's eyes, we're impure. He didn't call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Now, I realize that this is one of the doctrines of the Word of God that we decide that we can debate on that subject. In other words, you will read something and you'll say, well, that applied to them and it doesn't apply to me in this time and this generation. The word of God clearly says that if you are in Christ, in Christ means you have heard the call of God in your life. 
You have repented of your sins. You have been following him through believers' baptism. You are walking in the discipleship and sanctification of God towards that heavenly call, which is the call when we cross the finish line. And I want to remind you, if you've ever watched a NASCAR race, when that white flag comes back, Every one of the cars left on track runs as hard as they come. Even if they're in 30th place and they round turn four and they see that checkered flag, they don't ease up and say, oh, well, I finished 30th today. Now, I've seen more wrecks on people trying to go from 30 to 31 or 29. Now, I'm not recommending you wreck anybody, okay? But I'm saying you keep the accelerator down, all right? It's not over till we cross that finish line and Jesus Christ himself, well done, good and faithful servant. Until then, you keep your pedal to the metal, as the truckers say. One of the greatest needs of the Christian life is to understand the difference between position with God and the practice of our faith. As I said, when God looks at us, he sees the forgiveness through the blood of Christ. He sees the holiness, the righteousness that he has put in us. That's called positional holiness. Our position before God is holiness. The practical uh, holiness, practical righteousness is how we live in obedience. Not because Joe or Cliff or Cord or somebody else says you're supposed to. We live out our lives in obedience as a result of the holiness that has been placed in us. You see, in holiness, God set us apart. He's freed us from sin. And then he did something else. He didn't just free you from sin. Because if if he just freed us from sin and said, okay, I've freed you, I've cleaned you up, go ahead and live in this filthy world you're in, we would all stumble and fall terribly. But what he did is he set us apart to himself. He just put a ring around us, put his hand over us and said, those are mine because my holiness dwells in them. Righteousness is simply in Christ. We are right with God. The word blameless is very, very, very important. To the one who still wants to fall back and excuse away your sin because you're not perfect, our call is to live in response to the holiness in us. Just live blameless. How do you live blameless? You simply, continually, as you realize you may have disobeyed God, you may have sinned, then you ask God's forgiveness for that sin. It's like washing your hands and going outside and getting dirty and you're called to the dinner table. You wash your hands. We need to understand we're called to be blameless. Practical holiness and righteousness happens right at the moment you trust Christ as your Savior. God, God declared you righteous and holy. First Peter chapter 1. At the moment you trusted. Whoa, it went away from me. Were we there? All right, I like that at the moment. 
At the moment you trusted Christ as your Savior, God declared you holy and righteous. Hold that. Who is the greater authority in the world? God himself. Man can make laws. Man can change laws. Man can change their mind and try to do what they want to. But you need to understand God's declaration on everything. We are living out a plan that God had in his mind before the foundation of time. And when you come to Christ as his, your Savior, God declares you holy and righteous. Who here today wants to dispute with God? I'd rather go out on a golf course during a lightning storm and hold up a one iron than argue with God about who he says. And then my next question is, If God is freeing us and God is calling us holy, why would we want to argue with him and say, no, we're not holy, we're sinful? Well, that just puts you in another problem, guys. You see, you think I'd be crazy talking like this, but this is the way we act and react. We don't want to acknowledge what is fact, what is truth, what is declared by God. So we inch up to the world so maybe nobody will notice us. And that way, everything will be okay. You need to understand, God notices. I listened to a message by Tony Morella. I give you his name because I'm going to use some of the points he used. I mean, he had some good ones, so why let them go to waste, right? All right. I want to help you this morning. This study helped me to understand how I am to walk as who I am as declared by God. Okay? Number one, live in the power and the hope of your new identity. Do we get that? Live in the power and the hope of your new identity. In First uh, Peter chapter 13, live and therefore with minds... That are alert and fully sober. Set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. Live in your new identity. That's sanctification. That's discipleship rolled into one. It's learning to be who God has declared you to be. And if God declared you to be that, you are that. Secondly, you've got to make war on the flesh. Make war. We are in a war. And if you think Satan cares about you, one flip. He doesn't care anything about you. In fact, he hates you so much He's rounding up everybody he can to go to hell with him just to spite God. To take God's creation, what God formed in his image, and take him to hell. That's why here at Tomoka, you know what? You know the theme, right? We try to make it impossible for people to go to hell because the gospel of Christ is preached. Verse 14. As obedient children, see this is key, as obedient children do not conform to the evil desires you had. This is a past 
tense. I learned that in English. I hope my English teacher is watching me. Had when you lived in ignorance. You think you're smart when you're living in sin? You're living in ignorance. Because you're turning your back on God. You're turning about your back on the blessings of God. You don't understand what that life is like. That's why a person who is lost and without Christ, they don't understand why we come to church Tuesday at 1030. Or why we go on Saturday night. That's crazy. And twice on Sunday. This blows their mind because there is a veil over their eyes that will never be removed until Jesus Christ himself, through his spirit, begins to work in the heart of that person. And as that call comes, that veil is lifted and you get an idea of the life of Christ. But I'm going to tell you, when we live on this earth... And we try to reject the fact that we are a holy generation, totally elect to God. We have a veil over our eyes because we cannot see the joys of heaven. We come up with a, my dog's in heaven and, and, and there's a whole, there's a golf course and I'm going to fish in the Jordan River. We come up with all of this stuff simply because a veil is over our face. We're going to be in the presence of God forever and ever and ever in a brand new body, a brand new mind, and we will never, ever have a birthday again. Praise God. Amen? All right. Stop. Here's my help for you. Stop redefining your sin. Dear Lord, would you forgive me of the mistake I made today? <laughs> really? Don't redefine your sin. Stop blaming other people. He made me do it. And see, that's not even original. At creation, when there were two people on earth, God challenged Adam about what had happened. And Adam said, that woman you gave me. And the woman said, that devil. That's where Flip Wilson got, the devil made me do it. In the book of Genesis. And we've been doing that all our lives. Stop blaming other people. Not only that, don't justify your habits. Okay? There's nothing justifiable about him. How does God himself, when he looks down from heaven, look at sin and a person that sins? Okay? Well, Jesus said it best in Matthew 5, 9. If your eye offends you, pluck it out. And if your hand offends you, that simply means causes you to sin, cut it off. That's God's view when we sin. Isn't it wonderful that when we, I mean, it's the mercy of God when we lie, we stop being able to talk. Or like that movie where a guy could no longer lie. He told the truth in every situation. You see, God is not playing with us, guys. Every day we live in mercy and grace of God. Number three. Pursue pervasive. How do you like that word? I always like to have a good word for you. Pervasive holiness. What does that mean? Pervasive? Pervasive means head to the bottom of your feet. It means complete. Don't be holy over here and let this arm enjoy your habit. That's basically what it's saying. Look at verse 15. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy 
What's that word? A little louder. You can see it. And all you do. Complete holiness. Number four. I got to hurry. Live before the eyes of God. You ever thought about something? You can go out of state and hide from everybody. I warn you, I've been all over the world and I run into people that I know. But no matter where you go, you can't, you can't get anywhere that you're not. Realize you're living under his eyes. Best illustration, Joseph and Potiphar's wife. He'd been beaten, chunked in a hole, sold, put in jail. He was in the household of Potiphar. Things are going good. And this woman set her eye for him. And every time that he got in the room, she was playing grab. And in fact, one time, the last time she saw him, he was streaking. Because she reached up to grab his cloak and pulled it off him as he left the door. His reason was that I don't want to send, I don't, I don't want to do this for Potiphar. I don't want to go back to jail. No. He said, I will not sin against God. That brings me, I'm going to skip down to my last point. You got to live like Christ is better than sin. You ever thought about that? Bible tells us in a number of places our lives buried. To whatever you set your eyes on, whatever you worship, whatever literally has your attention, that becomes your God. That becomes your idol. What if we lived in a world where Christians believed and lived that Jesus Christ is better than sin? God does not call you to give up pleasure. He calls you to find pleasure. God doesn't call you to give up satisfaction. He calls you to simply find satisfaction. How do you do that? You preach your gospel to yourself every day. You rehearse in your mind. I have been crucified with Christ. Therefore, it is no longer I who lives with Christ who lives in me. The life that I live in this flesh, I live by faith in the blessed Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, that's your answer to the temptations that come your way. I've been crucified with Christ. That man is dead. That woman is dead. Dead people don't want anything. Therefore, I don't want what Satan peddles. I don't want it because Christ, those wounds in his hands, his feet, his side are my sins. I don't want it because I'm holy. I carry within me the holiness of my God. You see, that's what people in trouble, people in this world, people who are walking with veiled faces need to see they may forget your words they'll never forget your life and that reason has to be it's God's holiness it's who I am I can't live any other way this morning if you have never received Christ as your savior 
Don't walk out of here and say, well, I almost came to Christ. You don't know if you'll ever walk back in. That's not a threat. That's just real life, guys. We don't know. If you're a Christian that's been making excuses to keep your habit, if you've been renaming your habits, you're renaming your sins, I urge you to stop it. Make a commitment, either where you sit or at this altar, God, no longer. I'm going to live with truth in myself. It's amazing how we demand truth from the news, truth from our politicians, truth from our neighbors, but we live in a lie, lying to ourselves about who we are and what we are. Today's a good day. Remember, you're dead to the world and alive to Christ. Father, your word is powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. So today I pray, Holy Spirit of God, do the work in calling folks to holiness and righteousness. In Christ's name, amen.